with that, would you guys welcome Luke up to give the message? Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Luke, in case we have not met. And um, I'm going to continue talking about the presence of God this morning. So we talked about it last Sunday, but there's a lot that God's put on my heart recently about this topic. And so I want to share it with you. Uh, Cool thing, yesterday I attended an event in Springfield, Ohio called the Springfield Joy Fest. Wilson and I have a friend named Micah Level, and he's a pastor up there, and he put on this event, took him 14 months to plan it, $40,000 to pay for the whole event. It was in the center of downtown, and it's like a big festival, big Christian festival. And what was cool is he asked Wilson and I, He's heard about, he knows about Vineyard Northwest. He's been here, he's spoken here. And he knows that he can count on people that will be willing to go out and do evangelism if he calls on us. And so we took a team up there and we actually took out people to do evangelism in the five most dangerous neighborhoods in Springfield um, about two hours before the, the Joy Fest actually started. And it was really cool. Like from the very beginning, we saw God's presence on the move. While Wilson is briefing the team leaders, so we're not even to the pre-event event yet. While Wilson is briefing the team leaders, this guy's walking by, Will um, starts talking to him. He had back pain, looked at his legs, his hips were, his like hips were out of alignment or something because one leg um, was shorter than the other, prayed for him, discrepancy uh, was eliminated, his legs were the same length. And that dude actually ended up coming to the Joy Fest because of that rededicated his life to Christ and got baptized that night. So, and that was before we even did our pre-events and the pre-event was going out and doing evangelism and um, Wilson and I were getting everybody in groups and so we got everyone in groups and then we realized, oh, we're the only two left. And so just he and I went out, which is fun because we don't usually get to go out like that. So we went out and we were doing evangelism. Two people got born again for the very first time and a lady who had... uh, really bad back pain got, we prayed for God to heal her. She got totally healed from the back pain. So that was cool. And then the actual event was amazing. I think they baptized 30 something, 20 to 30 something people. Um, They stopped the count at 15. Like that's what they said. They announced that we baptized 15 people. And then like more people came up. So I don't know the exact number. Uh, People got saved. People were getting healed. Funny story. At one point during the event, Micah, the guy organizing it, was uh, asking for some of the pastors and leaders that were there to come on stage and actually share with the whole crowd, like two, three hundred people, like stuff they felt like God was saying. And so he, I was one of the people that went up there and I didn't actually want to go up. Like I wanted just to stay and enjoy the event, but I was sitting there and I heard the name Carol in my mind, like very clear, very clearly. And Again, I wasn't planning on going up, but I knew that that thought that came to my mind, it wasn't my thought. And so I was like, all right, Lord, I, I guess I'll get up and share. What about Carol? And I felt like he said knee pain or neck pain. And so I go up on stage and I'm like fifth in line. Basically, a pastor would go up, share what they felt like God was saying. A lot of them, like one, one guy, the guy right before me, for example, he was like, I feel like God's healing people from PTSD. Raise your hand if you're, if you're struggling with that. Six people raise their hand. They got people praying for him. People before that were like, yeah, I feel like someone got in a car accident, hurt this part of your body. Two people responded to that. They raised their hand. People pray for them. I get up and I'm like, all right, I feel like there's someone here named Carol. 
and you've got pain in your neck or pain in your knee and God wants to heal heal you, raise your hand if your name's Carol. Nobody raised their hand. (laughs) But then I was like, you know what? I'm either going down in a blaze of glory or I'm going to succeed. Like I'm going to fail big if I'm going to fail. So I'm like, no, Carol, I know you're out there. Carol, raise your hand. (laughs) Again, nobody raises their hand. And basically... I eventually just like got off the stage and, and the next person went and, and I was like, you know what? At least I was obedient. At least I like did what I felt like I was saying to do, but man, I'm also bummed. Like I wanted, I, I, you know, I don't want to look like the one pastor that can't hear from God in front of all these people. <laughs> and, and I was like, and I mean, I just, it's a, it's a bummer. And so come to find out, two of our team were actually walking amongst the people while I was sharing. And as I'm saying the name, Carol, 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 I don't exactly know how they knew, but they looked at a lady and they're like, Hey, are you Carol? Like, are you the one with like knee or neck pain? And she's like, yes, I have knee pain, but my name's not Carol. It's Carolyn. (laughs) And they were like, no, that's for you. Like, so ended up praying for her and stuff. And so I felt vindicated when they told me that at the end, you know, I wish that all the 300 Springfield people would have known that I wasn't wrong, but it's okay. You know, I'm telling this 300 people. So even it out. So it was just a great event. And something I realized is that I've seen events like this in downtown areas over and over again. And a lot of times they're nonprofits that are really trying to do good in the community and a lot of good things happen. You know, this event had a lot of the same things you'd find at another kind of event. There was a raffle, there was free hot dogs, there was snow cones, there was um, bouncy castles and water slides and all that. But there was something different about this event. And this event, you know, people whose lives were getting changed all across the plaza, like one person would be crying and raising their hands to God over here. People are getting prayed for over here again all these people getting baptized and saved, people getting healed. And I realized the reason that this event was different from others, like what set this event apart was that this event was centered around the presence of God. Like the presence of God was central to the Springfield Joy Fest. And it just reminded me that we can do a lot of things to help people. And I'm not saying we as in church staff, anybody, all of us, we can do a lot of things that help people, but there is nothing we can do that it has more value and impact for a person than expose them to the presence of God for the first time. Like that is the life-changing thing that we can offer somebody. And I'm just so happy to be a part of a church where like, it's like, you know what? We're going to do our best with music. We're going to find all of the musicians that we have that are amazing. We're going to do our best to give good um, sermons. We're going to try to make the place comfortable. Blah, blah. We're going to do all these initiatives. But at the end of the day, it's the presence of God that's going to change people's lives. That's going to stay central here at this church. And so, um, so yeah, I just am so excited. I'm so happy and excited to be a part of what God's doing through all of us. Um, and I'm happy to be up here again for the second time. Actually, a perk of getting to speak um, two weeks in a row is that if you get anything wrong in your first sermon, next week you can correct it. So that's what I'm going to do to start off, (laughs) to start things off. So basically, um, the way that I did research 
to prepare for last week's message, which was on the presence of God, was I literally looked, I used this website called Blue Letter Bible. And it allows you to look through the entire Old Testament and New Testament and find every single individual verse that has a word. And so I did a word search on the word presence, looked through about 100 verses and weeded out the ones that were talking about the presence of people um, and only tried to focus on the ones that were talking about the presence of God. And I thought I did that well enough, but I'm sorry, guys. One of the verses I included in my message last week was actually talking about the presence of a person. And then the point I was making was that we need to be passionate about pursuing God's presence. And so um, I'm just going to use a different verse that says the exact same thing. But I still wanted to, because I really, you know, I personally, I really value being faithful to the scriptures and faithful to the word. And so it was a proverb I quoted last week. It wasn't actually talking about the Lord, but the same verse I'll use, or, the, or um, a verse I'll use to make the same point is 1 Chronicles 16, 11. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Or Ephesians 5, 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Verb tense there means be filled over and over and over again. And so my point is just that our pursuit of his presence, it should look like continual pursuit. It should look like pursuing him at all times, pursuing him with passion. I actually started off last week with a Bill Johnson quote. And the quote, it's not going to be up there. It said something like this. When we pursue kingdom principles above his presence, we are looking for the kingdom without a king. And I think it's just so, so important that we really understand that. And I, I, I read a verse from Exodus right after that last week, Moses saying to God, God, if you lead us here or there or wherever, it's fine, but keep your presence with us. Don't lead us anywhere that your presence isn't going. And remember in that time, they actually literally saw the manifest presence of God either as a pillar of cloud during the day or a pillar of fire by night, leading them in the wilderness after they left Egypt to the promised land. And so, um, yeah, the presence of God has to be a, an essential part of our walk as Christians. And it's essential that it's not only something that we recognize as important, but we actually pursue it like it is important. We actually are passionate about it like it's important. It's not enough just to say it. We have to do it also. And there's a couple of reasons why it's essential that we passionately pursue God's presence. When I say passionate, I mean like we're thinking about it as much as we possibly can. We're asking God for it to show us where his presence is day after day, maybe hour after hour. Like it's something that we're always pursuing and talking about. It's so important that we do this because what we passionately pursue is what has primary influence in our life. Like whatever you're passionate about, that's the main thing that influences you. And so take a second and think about that. Like what are you passionate about above everything else? What comes to mind and are you okay with that thing being your primary influence? Because that's, there's no escaping it. Whatever you're passionate about, that's what, you, that's what primary influences you. The funny example I gave last week was babies and their parents. Parents are the primary influencers of their ch- children. Why? Because those babies passionately pursue the presence of their parents. Day and night worship. Like passionately pursuing their, present, their parents. And um, that just shows that even children, before they can consciously 
be aware of it, they understand, hey, you have primary influence in my life. I'm going to passionately pursue, pursue you, mom and dad. We need to be the same way towards the Lord. Like, God, um, I'm going to passionately pursue you more than anyone else because I want you to have primary influence in my life. Um, we also have to get away from the mindset of, I'll only be passionate about something when I feel passionate about it. We can't only be passionate about the things that we feel passion for. Because if that's the case, then you don't manage your feelings, your feelings manage you. Your feelings manage you if you're only willing to be passionate about the things you feel passion for. Like again, getting back to the child-parent analogy. Like parents are passionately in love with their kids, especially when they're first born, but any parents in here, like is there a time when that passion decreases a little bit and frustration takes its place, <laughs> right? So what if you only loved, and we can extend this beyond parents, what if you only loved people when you felt like loving them? You'd be a pretty selfish person. And so in the same way, like we can't only choose to be passionate about Jesus when we're feeling passionate about him. We have to choose to be passionate about the presence of God at all times, even if we're not feeling it. Another reason why we got to be passionate about his presence is that experiencing God reinforces a mindset in us that expects God to show up at any moment. I really want to, I'm going to read that again because it's so important. Experiencing God reinforces a mindset in us that expects God to show up at any moment. You see, most of our problem, most of our problems, um, or let me say it this way, the problem we have most of the time isn't that we don't love God enough. It's that we forget that we love God. It's not that we don't love him. It's that we forget that we love him. Like for example, have any of you ever experienced highway hypnosis before? It's a bizarre thing if you haven't. You probably have. You just didn't know you. You probably didn't know that you had. Highway hypnosis is when you're driving on the highway and you get so kind of sucked into your own brain that you come to and you realize, I was just driving for 10 minutes, but I literally do not remember any of it. And it happened to you before, any of you. Like, it is freaky. Like, you are, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a weird, bizarre thing. And it's because you just are kind of so distracted by your own thoughts that you forgot that you were driving. Well, we can also experience Christian hypnosis where we, for a moment of time, forget there's a God, forget that we ever entered into a relationship with him, forget that Jesus is guiding our life. And we just, um, respond and react to our circumstances. Like we become unaware of his presence and um, sometimes nothing happens that's negative, but sometimes things, sometimes negative things do happen. Like, let me uh, illustrate it with this. Think about the last time you said something harsh or unkind to somebody else. Think hard for a second. What was the last time you said something harsh or unkind to another person? Now, think about this. If Jesus had been physically present. You could see him with your eyes. And he had looked at you and said, hey, fill in the blank, whoever you are. Hey, Luke, um, this is my son. This is my daughter, so-and-so. What do you want to say about them? Do you think you would have said the same thing? 
If Jesus had been there and asked you what you thought about that person, even in the heat of the moment, do you think you would have responded the same way? If the answer is no, I would have responded differently than what happened. What happened was you became unaware of the presence of God and it affected how you responded in that situation. And so in the same way, when we have become unaware of his presence, when we have that, that Christian hypnosis, when we forget that we are in relationship with the King of Kings and the living God that created the heavens and the earth, we oftentimes behave or think or speak in ways that are contrary to what God's calling us to do. And it's actually being aware of his presence that keeps us living how we know we want to live. And so when we're experiencing God over and over again, we're reinforcing to ourselves that, hey, God wants to be a part of every moment of our life. Don't go into that hypnosis. Don't go into that Christian hypnosis. Keep aware of him. I mean, in all the mistakes we made, I think the majority of them, it's not that we were thinking about God. Okay, God, do you want me to do this or not? I know you don't want to, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think a lot of times it's just that we aren't thinking about God at all. And we do something that we didn't want to do. We do a stupid thing. And I don't know about you guys, but I want to do less stupid things. Right? And my wife, Jamie, wants me to do less stupid things. Um, and being aware of the presence of God, training ourselves to have that mindset that I want God to be a part of every moment is what allows us to be less stupid. I want to say this about, you know, Christian hypnosis, like it, forgetting about God for a week, for a month, even for six months, whatever, like not thinking about him for a period of time does not like take away your salvation. It doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that God's going to abandon you. But um, I think what it can mean when we kind of get used to living our lives without thinking about God is that we're settling for whatever he's done in our life up until this point. Like it doesn't lead you to hell, but it does lead you to settle. If you if last time you really experienced God was a while ago, and you haven't really thought about experiencing him since then, then you probably just settled. You probably settled with, you know what? I'm okay with all of God that I've gotten so far, and I'm just going to coast this out until the end of my life. But I want you to think about this for a second. What if Billy Graham would have settled with one city? My mom got saved when he came here to Cincinnati. I might not be here right now if he had settled. Or what about Martin Luther King? What about if he had settled for one state? What would our country look like? Or what about Mother Teresa? What if she would have settled? What if Van would have settled? Like, the world would be so different. And I'm looking at you right now and I'm telling you, the only thing that would ever separate you from any of those people would be if you settled because you have God living inside of you and God changes the world. It's not you, it's him. And I promise you that if you choose to, no matter what, I don't know what else is going to happen in my life, but I'm never going to settle for the amount of God that I've gotten so far. I'm always going to be pressing into more of God. If you have that mindset, you are going to change the world in one way or another. It's settling, especially for Christians who have kind of been around church for a while and have been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years, the enemy isn't going to try to come to you and get you to like 
turn your back on God and dive into addiction or something. He's probably just going to try to get you to settle. And what I'm telling you is never settle for the amount of God you've experienced. Always be hungry for more of his presence. Another point I want to make is that when talking about kind of having this mindset of expecting God to show up and God being on your mind, um, you don't have to feel him in order to have that mindset. Okay. And that might sound like I'm contradicting what I just said, but let me explain. In February 2014, I attended this Holy Spirit conference where I saw God moving on a room of a thousand people and it blew my mind to see how tangible the presence of the Holy Spirit was in that room. And it changed me from that moment on. And for the next six months, it was like every single morning I woke up just with my head buzzing about God. Like I thought about God every morning. I thought about God before I went to bed. That's all I talked about was God throughout the day. I was like so, um, that whole like God mindset thing, that active God mindset where I'm expecting him to be, be involved in every part of my life. Like that was me. Um, me sitting there, hey God, what should I watch on Netflix today? This or this? And I feel like I heard something. Okay, I'll watch this. Like I, I was including him in, in where should I go to eat? What should I cook for myself tonight? Fill in the blank. So like that was a period of time where like, The Lord was always on my mind. Now, at that conference where I saw God moving, I didn't experience anything that I hadn't already experienced. And then for the next six months, although I was the one who was like super hungry for encountering God, I was running to the front whenever there was prayer happening for the Holy Spirit. I was passionately worshiping, asking God for more. Like even though I was doing that, I still wasn't experiencing anything more than I had already experienced. And I think that God sometimes makes us wait because it's in the waiting that we actually learn the um, characteristic of hunger, not just the emotion of hunger. But when we can have hunger built into our character, that sustains us for a lifetime. If we just feel hungry for God and then he immediately satisfies that, then we just go on with life and we, you know, we don't have that hunger built into who we are. We got to have that hunger built into who we are. And so for that whole time, I wasn't experiencing anything more, even though I was hungry for it. And I want to tell you that like, um, if you have been like crying out to God, like, God, I want to, I want to experience more of you. I want more of your presence, Holy Spirit. And you haven't actually like, um, felt it yet. Like there's nothing you're doing wrong. You actually have it. You've got the secret. Now just don't stop what you're doing. And you're gonna, he's, he is going to release that experience to you. But even more so, you are actually establishing in yourself a mindset that is always hungry and expecting God to show up. So keep that mindset. You don't need the feeling. The feeling is great. And after that six month period, I did encounter the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, but you don't need the feeling. But when I did actually experience him, after that six month time of crying out, it was in July and it was, or August one and two. And it was here in this room. We had a speaker here named Ben Fitzgerald. And he, I think I said this before, but he, um, did a, he had us do a fire tunnel for the very first time. Two people on either side, make a tunnel. You walk through, you're, you're getting prayed for. And I was the very first one in line for the tunnel 
I start going through and one moment I'm standing, the next moment I'm, I'm on the floor. I don't remember how it happened. Um, and then two days later, that was a Wednesday, two days later, we had house group at Van and Lori's house in Colerain. 81 young adults show up to their house. We stuff them in the basement. They don't all fit. Like there's 40 chairs and we had to put 20 on the ground and then the rest in the stairwell and up into the living room. And worship was like electric that night. A lot of crazy stuff happened that night. I don't have time to get into all of it. Some people spoke in tongues for the very first time. Some people got delivered from demonic influence. Um, two of my friends, so, so they were on the ground experiencing God. And that happened in worship. About an hour later, we get done cleaning up everything. We put their living room totally back in place, except there's two bodies still on the ground. And I'm like standing there with the light switch. That's the last thing I have to do is turn the lights off. I'm like, all right, guys, you coming? I'm going to turn the lights off. They don't move. So I turn the lights off, go upstairs, leave them down there in the dark. Um, But they were just so overcome with the presence of God. Another thing I remember is um, I had been running around like a madman that evening because there was 81 people, which would meant like 14 Bible studies. And there was a bunch of new people that had never been there before. And we had to put like eight of the Bible studies outside in the yard in a different part of the yard. And like it was the summer and bugs are everywhere. And I, so I'm, I'm like going around making sure all the new people have got bug spray on so they're not getting eaten alive. And um, just long story short, I was just like busy that night. I didn't get prayer during worship. I worshiped a little bit, but I'm also thinking about everything I need to do. End of the night, Van and Lori get home and Van looks at me and he's like, hey, Luca, you look kind of tired. Has anybody prayed for you? And I'm like, no, no one prayed for me, I guess. Um, I was about to go out the door and get to Skyline because there were 40 people that were there and I wanted to be there with them. Um, I'm like, okay, Vanya, you can pray for me real quick. So I'm, I remember staying there. I was with, I was there. It was me. It was my friend, Gene. I think Wilson was there. And, um, Van just walks up to me and he just says, Holy spirit, come puts his hand on my heart. And again, it was like one moment he's praying for me and I'm thinking about getting to skyline. <laughs> and the next moment I'm like teetering, I'm falling and my head is going right towards bricks. And luckily, Gene was there, and he was able to like put his whole body in front of me and catch me so I didn't drill the bricks with my head. That would have been bad. Um, and I, they lay me down on the ground, and I'm there for a minute, and then I get up, and I'm like, wow, that was crazy. Like, what just happened to me? And it was just like, you know, it wasn't, it was just like the Holy Spirit's presence was so intense around me that I literally felt like I couldn't stand up anymore. Like, my, my knees got weak. And it wasn't an emotion. It wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm so happy or I'm so sad or I'm so joyful that I'm just going to fall. Like it wasn't an emotion. It was a tangible, physical presence around me. It was a heaviness and it was really intense. And so then, of course, for like the next, for a while after that season, I just started, well, during that time, um, I was experiencing tons of crazy stuff. Like I remember one time I was leading a leaders meeting before house group was going to start. And in the worship part of the meeting, I just fell on the ground and I was like laughing and singing and I just didn't get up. And so then the whole meeting happened and I'm just there while the meeting's happening. And I was supposed to be the one leading the meeting. (laughs) And, but I just didn't, I mean, I think maybe I could have gotten up, but I just like, there was nothing in me that wanted to get up off the ground. 
because the presence of God was on me. And so that whole time, it was just, it was just incredible. And I just was dream, I was just thinking about the Lord all the time. And I just, I was always looking for how he was going to reveal himself in a new way to me. And I think he did that not because it's like you get a part of your life where you have that. And then most of your Christian life, you don't get that. I think that's how we think about it sometimes is that there's going to be like your honeymoon phase with Jesus, but real Christianity is hard work. You don't feel much. You're not that passionate. You're not that hungry. I don't think that's God's intention. I think he gives us a taste of it so that we develop a desire for it enough that we choose to desire it for the rest of our life. And that we choose to pursue it wholeheartedly for the rest of our life. And I want to encourage you that if you've had that experience, um, remember what it was like and use that as fuel to pursue him even harder, starting right now. Or if you've never had that, come forward at some point while we're doing prayer during worship, get someone to pray for you and God's going to reveal his presence to you for the very first time. And it's so important that if you have an experience that you do experience it because I can stand up here, I can do three sermons on it, I can give you history, I can do my very best to help you understand it, but you're not really going to know what it's like until you experience it yourself. It's kind of like if I wanted, uh, it's kind of like if I stood up here and did three sermons on chocolate cake and told you like, let me, let me tell you what it tastes like. And I gave you all these arguments and broke down the sugar and um, talked about the history of the cocoa plant and the process. Like I could explain all of that and give you a picture of it, but you're not really going to know what chocolate cake tastes like until you take a bite of it. And so the Holy Spirit today is saying, hey, come and experience me today. Like what I hope to do, I hope, yes, I hope to teach well and I hope that we can have an accurate understanding of what the presence of God looks like. I hope to inspire you. Um, But what I'm really hoping to do is just get you to step into the more and experience it yourself. And then you won't need someone to stand up here and teach about it because you'll have experienced it. Um, So, yeah, like we just, we got hunger, not feelings is key. That's what I'm really getting at. We got to stay hungry for the Lord. So I want to dive into some scriptures now that talk about the presence of God. And I actually want to start by looking at the very first place in the Bible that that term is actually used. It's in Genesis 3. It's shortly after the, after the fall of man where Adam and Eve were, um, they were in sin. And they were ashamed of their sin. They were actually hiding from God. So let's read Genesis 3 verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here's what struck me as I was reading this. They didn't really hide from God. Like you can't actually hide from the presence of God because God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere. But. Although you can't hide from him, you can hide from experiencing him, which is what was happening. You see, it's probably the reason that God was walking in the garden looking for them. It's probably because that's something that they did all the time. Like it was probably a normal thing before Adam and Eve fell that they would actually walk with the Lord in the garden and enjoy intimacy with each other and have connection and be in each other's presence. But 
after they fell and became ashamed, the presence of God is coming and they choose to hide. Now, God knew where they were, but he wasn't experiencing connection with them. And in the same way, although we can't actually hide from the presence of God, you better believe you can hide from experiencing his presence. Like, it's your choice if you want to experience God or not. Like, if you say, you know what, no way, I don't want to experience anything I want my Christianity to be completely cognitive, then God's a relational God. He's not going to force himself upon you. And another mindset that you might have is, well, if God ever gave me an experience, then I would choose to want to be in his presence. And um, imagine if you had that mindset for human relationships where it's like, you know what? If I ever am around you and you make me happy enough, then I'm going to want to have connection with you. Like it's, it's actually a mindset that is still hiding from God, even though it seems like it's not hiding from God. And so we have the ability to hide from experiencing God. And so that's why it's so important that we're not just saying, you know what, if it ever happens, great, but I'm not going to think too much about it. It's so important that we are actually passionately pursuing his presence. Another verse that I want to read, um, kind of giving us a foundation for the presence of God, would be Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. So this is what um, Paul, this is what Jesus is saying to his apostles right before Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He says, uh, Acts 1, 4, and 5. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, baptism of the Holy Spirit is a term you might have heard before. And it's what Jesus is talking about here. So a lot of ideas about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Let me um, help clarify some things. So one, the word baptism in the English comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to be immersed. And that word baptizo, it actually referred to leather making. It was a leather making, is a term that was used in leather making at the time. And basically, here's what it meant to baptize leather. If you had a piece of leather that was you wanted to get it softer or change the texture of it, you would make this concoction of chemicals and you would actually dip the piece of leather in the chemicals and the chemicals would soften the leather or change its texture. And the cool thing that would happen in this process is that you would immerse the leather in the chemicals, but then the chemicals would permeate into the leather. So it was a two-part process where the, there was um, immersion of the leather and then immersion into the leather. And so that is the picture that Jesus' painting of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we would be immersed in the presence of God and that the presence of God would be immersed in us. And so to understand the difference, it's like, imagine I've got a bucket of water up here and I take a sandwich bag, blow some air into it, make it airtight, and I dip that in the water. I immerse it in the water. As I pull it out, it's going to drip a little bit, but um, it's going to be dry pretty soon because although I immersed that bag in the water, the water did not permeate into the bag. On the other hand, imagine if I took a sponge and I dipped the spo- I immersed the sponge into the water. 
when I pull the sponge out of the water, what's going to happen? It's going to be dripping because it has been, the water has permeated into the sponge. That's the picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to be immersed in his presence. And then his presence is, is supposed to be so immersed in us that his presence is literally like leaking out of us as we go on with our day. Like you ever um, had a powerful encounter with the Lord and then like you go to work and someone's like, man, you just seem especially like joyful today or there's just something about you that's different. Like what's going on with you? They are literally encountering the presence of God that permeated into you in that moment of time. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is meant to look like. And so the next question would be, why did Jesus tell his apostles, wait, don't do any ministry until you experience that, until you experience the immersion of the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that comes in Acts uh, 1, verse 8. Acts 1, 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So Jesus told them to wait because it was actually going to be the baptism of the Holy Spirit that empowered them to do ministry. Now, I think that the common interpretation of this is that, yeah, they were empowered to do ministry um, in that they didn't have the power before, like in them at all. And the Holy Spirit coming on them like, like I imagine like them getting leveled up. Okay, now we're ready to do ministry. Like there might've been some of that, but I think even more importantly, Jesus wanted them to experience the tangible presence of God before they went out and did ministry because it was actually going to be that that sustained them in the long run. You see, they had been doing ministry with Jesus in the flesh and they didn't have it anymore. But what they did have was a continual experience of the presence of God. And it was actually that continual experience of the presence of God that would empower them for decades to continue to do ministry even when it got hard. And so God is saying the same thing to all of us right now. Like, I want to sustain you for the long run. And it is actually going to be experiencing my tangible presence that is going to do that. And I want to encourage you, hunger for, if you're not currently hungering for the presence of God, choose to be passionate about the presence of God. And if you are already choosing to be passionate about seeking it and you haven't experienced it yet, keep seeking because the promise is seek and or the promise is ask and the door will be open to you. Search and you will find. Oh, knock and the door will be open to you. But you get my point. So keep seeking, even if you haven't felt it yet, even if you haven't sensed anything yet, keep seeking more of the presence of God because one, you're going to find it, but also two, it's the hunger, not the feeling that actually trains you to expect God to show up at any moment. So that's all I have for you this morning. I'm going to invite Van back up to do the offering. Thanks, everybody. And the worship team.